Well, if for no other reason than for my own heart, let's pray together one more time and then jump into the word of God together this morning. Heavenly Father, we look to you today. We thank you that you sit on an eternal throne. And while it might at times feel as if you are not near, it isn't true. You are ever present. You're with us. You're for us. You love us. And you are working out your eternal purposes to redeem this world and bring us home with you forever. So I'm grateful for that reality. Thank you, Father, for your glorious son, Jesus, our eternal king, the one who's not only walked the hard roads that we walked, but he now paves a way for us. Jesus, thank you for providing a home for us. Holy Spirit, we are grateful for your presence in our lives. Thank you that you comfort, you strengthen, you correct us when we're off track. You give us grace and empowerment to be who we're called to be. You teach us things we don't know. You remind us of things that we've learned. And so would you come and be our guide this morning? Teach us. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we worship you and we yield to you this morning. It's in the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen. All right, we're going to look at two primary passages of Scripture together this morning. I want to look at um, an Old Testament passage from the book of Isaiah and a New Testament passage in the book of Hebrews. And I, I believe there is something that we can grab a hold of and in, in learn and find encouragement in looking back because it mirrors where we are now as we look ahead waiting for King Jesus. And so, friends, I, I don't even feel like I need to do a big introduction. You guys are living in the same world I'm living in. Unless somehow you were gloriously tuned out from the news this week, um, in which case, you know, check it out this afternoon and this might make more sense. But guys, we're, we are living in crazy times. We're living in a time of turmoil. And it's like every time we turn around, there's something else going on. You know, I could say this morning's message is in light of the events of this week. But I could also say it's in light of the events of the past couple months, the past year, or the past several years. Our country is in a place of shaking and turmoil. We know it, we feel it, we're living it, okay? And so I want to talk to you this morning about how we as followers of Jesus live in the midst of that kind of shaking and turmoil. Because we don't have to be unprepared. And we can be real about things, but we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be afraid. And so let's look to the word of God and let's look to the person of Jesus to find hope. So really simply, I want to talk to you guys this morning about the eternal king and the eternal kingdom. All right? So... Isaiah. Let me give you a little context here. In Isaiah chapter 8, 
we're going to read a few verses that are, that are kind of rooted in, in a larger chunk, chapters 7, 8, and into chapter 9 are all kind of the same message, and we'll get into chapter 9 briefly. Um, but Isaiah shows up at a time hundreds of years before Christ, approximately 700 years before Christ, and he's, he's prophesying and speaking into the present circumstances of what's going on in the nation of Israel, and he's talking about the future, the coming king, Jesus. And so as he's speaking into these present problems, he's acknowledging the turmoil that exists, and he's being honest that things are going to get worse. He's telling them things are going to collapse. We're actually going to go into captivity. The enemy is going to take over. So he's not sharing good news. He's not bringing false hope. He's saying things are bad and they're gonna get worse. But then things are gonna be all right because God is gonna redeem. In the midst of this message, he's not only preparing them for what's swirling around them, he's talking to God's people and he's saying, hey, listen, you guys, y'all have your own brokenness. You have your own sin and your own struggle and you're not fulfilling your mission in the world. Israel was meant to be a light to the nations. And we as the body of Christ, the church, we are meant to be a light to the nations. And so it's a message both to prepare them for, for what's coming, to deal with their present reality, and to get real with themselves about, are, are we being who we have been called to be? So there's a call to repent. And he's sharing hope, and he's honest about judgment. And so it is in that context that we're gonna jump right in. This is Isaiah chapter eight. I'm gonna start by reading verses 11 through 13. For the Lord spoke thus to me with his strong hand upon me. Man, I'm just thrilled right there. <laughs> in the midst of turmoil and trouble, current problems and things getting worse, God shows up with a strong right hand on the shoulder and is saying, I got some important things to say, but it's going to be all right. You know, I don't know what your relationship was like with your father growing up, but whether it was your specific father or a father figure in your life, have any of you ever had that moment where you, maybe you were younger and things were really hard and you were going through it? And can, can you remember that like firm hand on your shoulder, maybe somebody looking you eye and saying, it's going to be all right. I've had that. Well, listen, whether you've experienced that or not, that's our Father's heart towards his people. And so he comes with a strong right hand and he warned me not to walk in the way of this people. Be careful because there's another road you can walk and it'll get you off track. And what does he say? Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy. And do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. The context that Israel is in, the people of Judah specifically, if y'all remember our reading from this past year, Isaiah is warning them about two issues. He's warning them about an enemy that is coming to take over. There is an enemy 
and we're going to be in captivity. There is a coming enemy. He's also warning them to be careful of making an unholy alliance. They were being drawn to make an alliance with the tribes of Israel that had already broken from the Lord and neighboring pagan nations to get a false sense of security. And so the people of God were looking to the kingdoms of the earth to provide for them what only God could provide for them. And so Isaiah's message is clear. Don't be afraid of the coming enemy and don't look to earthly means to offer your protection. Be careful. And so he says, listen, here's what you do. Don't get wrapped up in what the rest of the world is afraid of. Now, guys, this is the the critical point. The point isn't that there is not stuff to be afraid of. (laughs) Isaiah's being real. There's an enemy coming. We can acknowledge that. There's, There's reason to be concerned. He's not even saying that some of the hidden things that we're fearful about aren't true. He's just saying there is a way that people can live where they are wrapped up in the fears of the moment instead of looking to the one who really holds us in the palm of his hand. See, he's not even saying you won't face death. He just says there's something scarier than the people on this earth that can kill you. There is Lord in heaven who holds your life and your very souls in his hand. And this isn't just an Old Testament thing. Jesus said this, Matthew 10, 26 through 28, as he's sending out his disciples, as he said, as sheep among wolves, I'm sending you into a difficult circumstance to be a light. And he says to them in Matthew 10, 26 through 28, so have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed. Don't be afraid of what you don't see or don't understand or you're trying to get to the bottom of. Don't get wrapped up in that. For nothing that is covered, there is nothing that is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. What you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. There is more to life, friends, than what is present and visible. Instead of getting wrapped up in this life, let's find our lives hidden in Christ. I'm not talking about being ignorant. I'm not talking about ignoring real issues. We should know what's going on. We should be aware of it. We should be tuned into the present reality and maybe even what's coming. But the point is, where is my focus and what am I looking to for hope? Have I determined that the only solution to this problem over here is another earthly solution over here? God's saying that's not for us. The reality is we have a God and a king in heaven and he is for us and he is with us. And he's saying, don't fear what man around you fears. Well, how do we resist that? We purpose to fix our gaze elsewhere. If, if I fill my mind and my thoughts with what's stirring here, I get drawn into it. 
I get drawn into hopelessness. I get drawn into fears. I get drawn into figuring out, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? When as the people of God, what we do is we look around, take the temperature, be honest, and then go, okay, Jesus, here I am. I give myself to you. I give this situation to you. I look to you, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So Isaiah talks about this, and then he begins to move into speaking of how to look to God instead of fearing man. And he does it by prophesying about Jesus. Check this out. Now verse 14, the next verse, back in Isaiah 8. And he, talking about God, so the one we are to fear, he will become a sanctuary. See, it's a, it's a respect, it's a reverence, it's an awe. But he's a safe place. We can come to him. We can find ourselves secure in his presence. He's our sanctuary. Or he can be a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. Verse 16, bind up the testimony, seal the teaching among my disciples. That's where he makes it clear I'm talking about something future. Now, we know in the New Testament, these same verses are applied to Jesus in the New Testament. He is the rock of offense. He is the stone of stumbling. See, there's one of two solutions when we look to Jesus. Either we look to him and recognize him as God and him as king, and we find sanctuary there and safety, or it's a stumbling stone and we reject him as such. And we look to other means in this life. We look to other places for our hope and our direction. It's one or the other. There's no middle ground. But for Isaiah, this is a future hope. And so now he says in verse 17, I, I really want you to take the rest of this in, the rest of this chapter, 17 through 22. He says, I will wait for the Lord. He's hiding his face from the house of Jacob, but I will hope in him. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are signs and portents in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. And when they say to you, the people who are afraid, the people who are looking for hope elsewhere, when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter, shall not a people inquire of their God? saying we're looking to all the soothsayers and the people that have some hidden wisdom and they've got the solution we're looking to them he's saying why are we looking to them should we not look to God should they require of the dead on behalf of the living he's saying they're looking to dead means he's specifically talking about mediums who would supposedly communicate with the dead in order to give advice but on a larger level he's He's talking about the wisdom of this earth that will fall short. Should we look to the dead for hope? No, we look to the living God. And so he says, to the teaching and the testimony, let's look to the word of God. And if they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. They have no tomorrow, those who look elsewhere for hope. They will pass through the land, greatly distressed and hungry, and when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak 
contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward. So they'll turn away from God for hope elsewhere. And when it all goes south, when the inevitable happens and they're in trouble, they'll turn against their leaders and they'll turn against their God. Blaming, in fact, the very God they've rejected. And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. Friends, this is a reality. This is not just some Old Testament mystery. When people are in turmoil, And we look down, we look to the earth, we look to men on the earth for our hope, for our solutions. It will lead to emptiness. It will lead to despair and we will feel like we are groping in the dark. It's the truth. Now, it is in this context that we should read the next passage. Because while the chapter rolls over, the thought hasn't ended. This is all part of the same prophecy. And we hold this up as this separate thing that we read just a couple verses at Christmas. But it is in this turmoil and darkness and despair where then Isaiah cries out. This is Isaiah 9 verse 2 and then 6 and 7. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. And those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. There's hope. For people looking for hope, looking for answers who can't find it. In the midst of turmoil, in the midst of despair, in the midst of emptiness, there's hope. What's the hope? Verse 6. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. That needs an amen. The government's on his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. He's got the answers. His name shall be called Mighty God. He is the one that's strong to save. He's the everlasting father. I'm not putting my hope in something temporary. He's the everlasting father. He's the prince of peace. Remember, the light shines in the darkness. In darkness, we have a wonderful counselor. In darkness, we have the prince of peace. And of the increase of his government... And of peace, there will be no end. He's got it all. And his peace is eternal. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And how is this going to be done? The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. God is zealous to work on our behalf to save eternally, to anchor us in an eternal kingdom with an eternal king who has what we need. And Isaiah meant for this to bring hope in the present moment. 
See, he's looking ahead for something he doesn't have yet. He's 700 years into the future looking for Christ to come, but he's telling God's people this should anchor us in the here and now. Well, listen, we are in a similar place. Now for us, Christ has come. The light has shone in the darkness. We have a Prince of Peace. We have a wonderful counselor. But you know what? He still feels hidden at this time because we are looking ahead for our returning King. We're waiting for him to come in all of his glory. But as we await the return of the king, we can live in his kingdom and we can be aware of the coming future kingdom that will be fully established. And so let's move now into the book of Hebrews. Let's look at some New Testament reality that connects to this Old Testament truth. Now, the context of Hebrews 12, we're going to spend a few minutes together. This is coming off of Hebrews chapter 11. In Hebrews chapter 11, we just have the list of the faithful people of God. All the way through the Old Testament into the time of Christ, the prophets of old, the saints, folks who were martyred, folks who were rejected. But the message of their faith is that in the midst of trouble, they held on to God. They held on to him. And in the midst of their trouble, he was faithful towards them. They suffered, they struggled, they even faced death. But their God was faithful. And he comes out of that and says this, this is all captured in Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who himself was willing to endure the cross for the joy set before him. So all of this is rooted in the faith of the saints of old, the finished work of Jesus for you and I. And then the writer in Hebrews 12, he begins to talk about the life we're living now. And he says, hey, we're going through the ringer a little bit. We face some struggles, we face some trials, but God is using it to grow us. And he talks about godly discipline. God uses difficulty to grow and strengthen us. And all of this culminates in, in this passage at the end of chapter 12. It's, this almost sounds like it's from the book of Revelation. It's a glimpse of the throne room. And so Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22 now. So in light of all of our present circumstances, he says, but you have come to Mount Zion and the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in feastal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. He calls us to, to look at the, into the throne room of God. And he's saying, we have an invitation to come there. And you know why? Because of the precious blood of Jesus. Now this seems like a weird reference in the midst of time of Jesus. He just says his blood speaks more than the blood of Abel. What's that about? Friends, Abel was the first person killed in the Bible. And he was killed simply because he was faithfully and sacrificially worshiping his God and he was hated by his brother. 
And so the scripture tells us, go back and look at the story. God says to Cain, your brother's blood cries out to me. Abel's blood speaks something. It cries out for the need for justice. There is a good righteous cry that cries out for justice. There is a lot wrong and a lot broken in this world. And God hears those cries. But God offers over against this blood that cries out for justice, he offers his own blood for mercy. And so Jesus' blood is even better because those who are in need can come to a merciful God. And so we can come before his throne and be made righteous. This is the gospel message. And so if Abel's blood speaks to the wickedness of men, the blood of Jesus speaks to the love and glory of God. And so his mercy is extended to us. So in light of this Jesus, in light of this glorious kingdom, in the midst of our present trouble, what does he say? Verse 25, see that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For they, and he's, I'm not gonna get into it here, but he's referring back to Moses and the children of Israel when they were near the mountain of God and the law was being given, okay? For they did not escape when they refused him, Moses, who warned them on earth. Much less will we escape if we reject him, Jesus, who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. There's some things that are gonna cease to exist. They're gonna be shaken and they're gonna be found wanting. They're gonna be found lacking and they're not gonna last. That is the things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Friends, I'll be honest with you. There were some moments this week where I was shaken. I was shaken at what I was seeing. There were certain things I just kind of thought, like, that won't happen. And in the midst of watching the shaking that was taking place, I noticed something else that caught my attention. I was one of those people that stayed up really late Wednesday night and I'm watching, you know, like C-SPAN and weird stuff. <laughs> as, as our leaders are coming back into the Capitol and they're going back into their chambers and they're beginning to get back to work. And I noticed something that multiple people said. To them, they were declaring something powerful and hopeful. They were saying, hey, even though these people came in, we're still here and democracy still stands. And multiple people referred to the Capitol as the temple of democracy. And their mentality was, this temple won't fall. Be careful. I'm thankful for democracy. I want to live in a free country for as long as I possibly can. I wanna live that way, I wanna vote that way, like don't mishear me, I am grateful. But friends, if we are looking to democracy as our temple of hope, it will be shaken. 
Democracy is not God's answer to this world. Jesus Christ is. There is no form of civil government on this earth that will withstand the shaking that's coming. There's one king in an eternal kingdom. There's no Biden, there's no Trump, there's no donkey, there's no elephant, or any other source that we can look to that's going to last. We have an eternal king with an unshakable kingdom. And we got to get real and honest about the fact that there are going to be times in this life where things are truly shaking and we're going to feel it. And in those moments, friends, we've got to remind ourselves where our real hope lies. It lies in Jesus. And so just like we talked about last Sunday in the book of Revelation, we look up. We look to the throne of our eternal king. And we look and we wait and we say, Jesus, come. Come, Lord Jesus. I'm looking forward to that day. But I also don't have to live in fear. I am here for a reason. You were meant to be alive right now. God's not surprised and he intended for you to be here and he will be with us in the midst of all of it. And so we do not have to look in fear because we don't place our hope in a kingdom that can be shaken. We place our hope in an eternal king and in a kingdom that will last. Verse 28, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Friends, when everything's shaking, it's an incredible opportunity to be grateful. To be grateful. You know what acceptable worship is? Not worship when it's easy and comfortable. Worship when it's difficult. When it's hard. When it doesn't feel like maybe he's present right now. When I'm not sure how much hope I really have for my future. When I'm uncertain about the ground I'm standing on. The person that can be reminded that I am grateful that it is not the things of this earth that I'm relying upon. It's an eternal king, an eternal kingdom, and he is worthy to be worshipped. I'm his and he's mine. And so I offer worship to him. Friends, I just, I want to wrap up with a quick thought here and then we'll, we'll move into this. Just for time's sake, I'm not going to read everything I, I meant to read here, but I, I want to encourage you. We come right out of this, this heavenly scene and being told about this unshakable kingdom. And the writer of Hebrews, it almost feels like he's changing gears, and I just want to say to you, he's not. Verses 1 through 8, he suddenly begins to talk about all this normal, practical stuff in our life. His very next phrase is, let brotherly love continue. And then he calls us to be faithful in our marriages, to help strangers, to comfort each other even when we're in trouble. 
He talks to us about confidently looking to the Lord as our helper and to not have fear because what can man do to me? He tells us to remember our leaders and pray for them. And then he says in verse eight, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In the midst of the shaking, I do look to something eternal, but then it anchors me right here, right now. I can live daily walking in the love of Christ. I can purpose that no matter what is shaking around me, I can live a faithful life. I can love others well. I can be committed to my family. I can be a light to strangers and those who need Jesus. I can comfort my brothers and sisters in Christ. And we can remind each other that he is our help and our hope no matter what we're facing. It's not impractical. Friends, being spiritually minded is the most practical thing you can do. Be rooted in the spiritual, in the invisible, in the eternal, and then watch it give you a solid foundation for everyday life. Because our king is with us, and we can live in his kingdom now. Whether it looks like anyone else around us is living that way, we can live in his kingdom now. And we can rejoice knowing there's a day coming when his government will increase and will have no end. And peace will reign eternally. I can participate in it now. And so finally, what do we do? I do want to close with these words. Hebrews 13, 12 through 15. When things get difficult along the way, when we realize how counterculture we're living, we don't fit anywhere in any particular stream, we remember these words. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. Am I willing to leave culture behind and go to Jesus? No matter what it might cost me, no matter how alone it might feel, I'm going out there to him, my king. That's where my hope lies. For here we have no lasting city. Friends, I have no idea what the Lord might reveal to you that you need to let go of. I don't know, maybe nothing. Maybe you're doing great, and this is just a reminder to endure and hold on to Christ. But maybe he'll reveal to you some things you've been holding on to that are shaking, and they're not going to last. And he's using it as an opportunity to say to you, that city, that place where you're trying to build a life, there's no hope for you there. That's not where you belong. There is no lasting city here, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Let's praise the name that is above every name. Because every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Let's build our lives on that rock. Amen? Kristen and Alex, y'all want to come? I want to spend a, a little bit of time in prayer, and then let's just worship together. And so Alex will pray, play something for a minute while we pray together, and then let's worship Jesus. 
So this is messy. I'm not even really sure how to do this. And I'm so tired of trying to lead a relationally oriented church body in COVID times. But we need each other. So, you know, every, everybody's in a different spot or whatever. And so at the very least, what I'd like to encourage you to do is with your own family, who you're sitting with, let's kind of circle up. And I'm going to pray some prayers. And if y'all are just saying yes and amen and agreeing, you can do that. If, if the Lord lays some stuff on your heart that you want to pray, do it. But I, I see throughout scripture, and I've got one example here, where the church is told how to live and what to do. We're called to pray for people, and then we're called to live our life peaceably, anchored in, excuse me, anchored in our community and sharing Christ with people. And so to give us a glimpse of what we're going to do here, it's 1 Timothy chapter 2, beginning of verse 1. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, that's crying out for help in trouble, supplications, prayers, just any kinds of prayers, intercessions, I'm standing in the gap for somebody else, I'm praying on someone else's behalf, and thanksgiving, expressing gratitude to God. I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, and that we may lead a, a peaceable and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good. It is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. We're praying for an environment where people can find Christ. We pray for our leaders. We pray for the world around us. We pray for our brothers and sisters. When we need help, we cry out for help. We express gratitude and thanksgiving. And all the while, amongst the church, we become a light. As people devoted to Christ and his kingdom, prayerful for others, and choosing to live at peace in this world, we create an environment where people can come to Christ. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to pray for our government and those in leadership. We're going to pray for our country and what's happening around us. And we're going to pray for the church those three categories. So I'm going to pray a couple of these prayers out loud. Be willing to get uncomfortable. If, if you want to find a couple other people and y'all look at each other and go, yeah, let's, let's do it, circle up, pray together. If you want to just do it within your own family, just lean in and let's agree in prayer. And then when I, when I say amen, man, we're going to worship Jesus together for a few minutes before we go. All right? All right, let's do it. All right, Jesus, we come to you and we look to you we thank you that you are our sacrificial lamb and that you are our eternal king. Jesus, we thank you that, that it is your kingdom that lasts. And so God, we pray for you, the wonderful counselor and the mighty God. Would you have a place in the hearts and mind of our leaders? God, we pray over everything from the president on down to the state and local level. God, we pray over our leaders. We commit them to you. God, for those who walk with you, would they find boldness and courage to lead in truth? May they not get drawn into other distractions, but may they lead out of their faith in you, Jesus. God, for those who do not know you, may they come to know you, may they find you, may their own hearts be anchored in you, and may they lead out of that. And Lord, I, I know 
that you hold all of them in your lap anyways. And so even those who don't walk with you, God, I pray that your purposes would be at work in places of leadership. God, we lift up our country to you and the turmoil that's going on. And Lord, whether we lean towards just wanting it to all go away or there's a lot of anger and vitriol to fight, God, the truth is no one side holds the keys and all the solutions. Jesus, you are the key and you are the solution to bringing hope and healing. And all the trouble and all the anxiety and all the darkness, the emptiness, God, our country is filled with people looking for hope elsewhere. And we're gonna be disappointed in the ones we look to for hope and we're gonna see the enemy on the other side. Jesus, I pray that the people in our country would have a turning to you. God, we pray for revival and awakening in this country. That in the midst of this dark time, Jesus, we would find you. That we would repent, we would turn to you. We would find forgiveness and new life in you individually. And Jesus, it would spread and there would be hope in our country. Lord Jesus, we pray for your church. God, that your church would wake up, that we'd put you back on the throne, make you our priority, and that the church would be a light, a light in the darkness, hope for the hurting. And Jesus, we also pray for your church in this country. Lord, if things don't turn around, if it continues to get darker and darker, like you told us it would in Scripture, God, that your people would stay faithful, that we would endure, that we would not lose heart, that we would link arms and encourage one another, that we would be rooted in Jesus' community because it's preparing us for the city that we look for. And so, Jesus, we pray for the endurance of the saints. We pray for the purification of the saints. Anything that needs to change to be repented of, may we do it. And Jesus, we thank you that you wash us in your very blood and you make us white as snow. Jesus, we pray for this house, this church family, people in this room, people online, God, people drifting, a little aimless in our church body. God, may we be tethered to you and may we find strength and encouragement and community with one another. God, I pray you'd even begin to put each other on each other's minds. I don't know if I'm praying that right, but Lord, may we think of one another. May specific people come to mind. May we reach out, encourage one another, pray for one another, bear each other's burdens. God, ultimately we look to you. We commit our households to you. We commit our individual hearts and lives to you. God, would you expose ways that we have invested our hope in the kingdoms of this world. Whether that's about looking to governments or political leaders, whether it's just a certain approach to life, trying to arrange for my own comfort. I'm looking to success or finances to give me a solid foundation. Lord, would you reveal broken things that we are investing our hope in? And would you get our sight right? Savior, our King.
God, we commit these prayers to you. God, we commit in our hearts to being kingdom-minded. May we find hope there. May we find a way forward there that it would address our fears and our anxieties, that we may find peace in you, and that we might be beacons of hope to a world in need. Jesus, you are the light that shines in the darkness. You are the hope of the world. And God, we look to you, we trust you, and we worship you together now. It's in the name of Jesus Christ, Savior and our coming King. It's in His name we pray this morning. Amen, church. Amen. Amen.